to open your Bibles to the book of Daniel. And we're going to be looking today at chapter 1. The book of Daniel chapter 1. Now last week, I gave you a kind of an overview of the entire uh, book and uh, the events that were happening that were surrounding the time. And this morning, I want to go a little more deeply into those particular events. We, of course, uh, covered some of chapter 1 last week simply because it gives us the historical setting uh, for Daniel. But I want to go this morning a little deeper into that and look at the circumstances surrounding Daniel himself and those three famous friends of his that every Sunday school child learns about, uh, those in the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Abednego, as, as a lot of kids say, including myself in much younger years. And um, I once heard someone say, that there is a special way to pronounce Hebrew names and words, and that is with confidence. (laughs) Because if you say it with confidence, no one will doubt you. You may not have a clue how it's supposed to be pronounced, but so uh, I've settled on Abednego, but it could be Abednego, or it's not Abednego, I can tell you that. Uh, That's... uh, that may be a bicycle break or something, but <laughs> it's not a name of one of those three. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. One of the difficulties in dating the book of Daniel rather precisely, and I gave you last week the the common dates for the Babylonian captivity from about 586 B.C. to uh, about uh, uh, 516 or so, But, in fact, there were apparently three different sieges of Jerusalem by the Babylonians, by Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, some people feel that Daniel was uh, transported uh, to the uh, capital of the Babylonians in the first siege, about 604 or 5, Uh, B.C. Others feel that it was a little later than that, but it tells us something about Daniel because we learn at the end of the chapter that his uh, leadership and influence in the kingdom continued through Cyrus uh, of the Medes and Persians who ultimately overthrew Babylon and took over, and Cyrus was that king 
that Isaiah tells us is the one who is going to send God's people back to Jerusalem. And he uh, wrote this prophecy, oh, 150 to 200 years before Cyrus showed up. Uh, liberal, uh, I almost hate to say scholars, but uh, they do have degrees in something. Uh, but, but liberals have a hard time with uh, prophecies. And so it causes them to want to date things much later than they should occur. And Isaiah is one of those things. They say, well, Isaiah could never have known Cyrus' name 200 years before Cyrus showed up on the scene. Well, why not? God knew his name. And God was able to give it to Isaiah. And so as a consequence, we have a time frame for Daniel's influence in Babylon. From the time that the siege occurred in Jerusalem and the um, leading young people were carried off to Babylon to the time that Cyrus uh, overthrew the Babylonian kingdom and came to power is, uh, gives us a time marker and it tells us that Daniel lived quite a number of years. Um, probably at the end of Daniel's life, he was in his 80s. And I love these passages of Scripture that hold for us uh, people who have uh, reached their octogenarian years and still have great wisdom and great mental acuity and are still uh, having a significant ministry and influence. If you say that Daniel, and this is what various commentators say, if you say that Daniel was about uh, 14 years old, say 12 to 15, when he was selected for the king's service, that would mean that he was born in approximately 600 B.C., which would make him 84 years old by the third year of Cyrus' reign. If you say that he was 17 and that he was born in 600 uh, and he lived into that period of time, he would be uh, close to 87 and so uh, there's no way to say exactly for sure how old Daniel was. But the significant things that stand out to me about his life is that he was very young when he was brought into the king's training. And he was very old when Cyrus came to the throne. And yet... Throughout that whole time, Daniel manifested great wisdom and knowledge and understanding. If you read uh, further in these opening verses, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials. And by the way, some of your translations read here uh, Ashpenaz the eunuch. And that's not necessarily the case. That's not the best way or only way to translate the word there. Chief of officials is probably a good way to translate it. 
Also, some commentators believe that in order to be in the king's service, you had to have a single-minded devotion to the king, so they would select eunuchs or they would make them eunuchs. How fun would that be? And uh, they would be the ones who would not have any family or, or wife or children. But Ashpenaz had a family, so we assume that he was merely uh, holding an office, not necessarily uh, physically a eunuch. But it says, the chief of the officials to bring some of the sons of Israel including some of the royal family and the nobles, youths in whom was no defect and who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, who had ability for serving in the king's court. It just occurred to me, that this was the first uh, Mr. Babylon pageant uh, because they were selecting them for all of these attributes, including their good looks. I have a lot of other things that go through my mind when I'm speaking, <laughs> but I don't necessarily reveal them all. Um, but they were looking for young people that stood out both scholastically, academically, as well as uh, handsome, good looks. They wanted them to be the, the cream of the crop. And they wanted them to come from uh, the royal families and uh, be entered into the king's training. It was a scholarship appointment. And they were going to be given three years of special training to ultimately serve the king. And what they were to learn was, notice in uh, verse 4, the second portion, he ordered Ashpenaz to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And they were supposed to be educated for three years, and learn all about the the math and the um, uh, history, because all of their religion was oriented to some extent around astrology, which, uh, even though astrology is not true, its foundation is based in astronomy and mathematical calculations. The three wise men that came from the east probably were descendants that came from this area and had been watching for the king of the Jews who, according to their mathematical formula, would be born about the time uh, that Jesus appeared on the scene. So, they were to learn the language. They were to be able to read it and write it and communicate. They were uh, to learn the knowledge of the Babylonians. They were to learn uh, everything about their religion. They were to learn uh, all of the math and the history and, and uh, all of the wisdom that had been accumulated. And in order to facilitate this... Um, 
the king appointed for them a daily ration from his choice food, the king's choice food, and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they would enter the king's personal service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, uh, notice that there were other young people involved in this training. There may have been others from Judah. We only know of four of them. But there were uh, young people from other nations that had been conquered. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar was really ahead of his time because in order to keep peace among conquered peoples, he chose their royal families to produce young people that would come into his service and provide a direct connection between him and the people that he had conquered. He, he wanted them to feel like they were connected to the Babylonian kingdom. And so, uh, among them, the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. Now, if you look at the background of these names, excuse me, and um, I won't... Uh, try to give you all of them, but let me just say, you notice the word L occurs in two of them, uh, and uh, there are other roots that occur in Hananiah and Azariah. These young men were named after the true God. Azariah, I mean... Um, Ashpenaz assigned new names to them, and the new names were named after the gods of the Babylonians, which is kind of interesting. And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So, that's where we get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's where those names come from. They are the names that were assigned to them uh, by Ashpenaz as he gave them names uh, more consistent with the gods of Babylonia. I'm quite sure that among themselves they continued to refer to themselves in their original names. Now, you recall I read to you that the king was going to give them a daily portion from his table and also a portion of the wine that he drank. And Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food, or with the wine which he drank. Now, why do you suppose that was? Well, first of all, some of it would have been forbidden. For example, um, pork would have been forbidden. And so, uh, 
just to eat any pork would have been to break the laws of God of clean and unclean animals. The other thing is that in Babylon, as in most of the ancient nations, all the way into the time of Christ, when animals were killed and slaughtered for sale in the market, they were very frequently um, offered as sacrifice to false gods as a part of the process. Um, if you've even read very much about uh, Native uh, American background, uh, you find that whenever they would uh, kill an animal, uh, they would give thanks to the gods for providing uh, the meat and all the uh, other benefits of that animal. In fact, uh, Native Americans would use virtually every part of an animal, uh, right down to the hooves. Uh, they would use every single part for some reason or another. They would find a use for it. And they had a great respect for human, uh, uh, not for human, unfortunately, but for animal life. They had a great respect for animal life. But Daniel would have had no way to know if the animals that provided the meat of the king's table and the wine had been sacrificed or offered as an offering to the false gods, which would have made it unclean. And so Daniel made a decision that he was not going to defile himself. Now, I want you to follow the sequence here because this has significant importance for us today. Daniel made a firm choice, and he was committed to his choice. He was not going to defile himself with the king's meat and drink. However, he sought the permission of the commander of the officials that he might do this. I have known people who have made a commitment to Christ and they have determined to follow the Lord and they're just about as obnoxious as any person you'd ever want to meet. Their attitude would be, I'm not following your rules, you bunch of pagans. And of course, what do you think would have happened? <laughs> yep. So sorry, Daniel. Off with your head. Daniel instead, with the wisdom that God had given him, went to the commander and asked permission. Now, that does not mean he was going to compromise if the commander had said no. But it means that he had made up his mind to follow the Lord, 
And yet he was going to humbly approach the authorities and the commander and seek to be granted permission to keep his religious requirements. Well, the scripture says God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. But the commander had some reservations. And Daniel wasn't out of ideas. This says to me that Daniel had really prayed through this. You know, can you imagine these guys getting together and saying, Lord, what, what shall we do? We can't go this route and eat this food, but what do you want us to do to, to honor you? And undoubtedly, God began to give them ideas on how to handle it. And they went to the commander, they asked for uh, his permission, and God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. So you see, he was worried about not keeping his charge and being disrespectful to the king. And so Daniel said to the overseer, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food. And deal with your servants according to what you see. You see how Daniel has put this back into the commander's hands. Now, once again, I remind you, if the commander had come back and said, you know what, Daniel, you guys are looking pretty good, but I can't take this chance, so you're going to have to eat what I give you. They were willing to go to the mat for that. But they wanted to to give every opportunity for God to work in the circumstances. And Daniel said, why don't you test us? Just for a week and a half. Just just give us a test and see how we look at the end of that week and a half. Now, I want to back up and just highlight something for you. Because notice that it says in verse 9... God granted Daniel favor and compassion. And also, if uh, you look back at the very beginning of the chapter, the Lord, in verse 2, gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, along with vessels of the house of God. Uh, I, I want you to recognize... As the scripture says in another place, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And he turns it whichever way he wishes. 
In other words, sometimes when we think that we are praying and fighting against satanic opposition, we're actually opposing the Lord. What do you think would have happened? Well, what do you think did happen with the Jerusalem residents as Nebuchadnezzar came down and laid siege to the city? How do you think they prayed? Lord, deliver us. Lord, we're your people. Lord, take care of us. Don't let any harm come to us. But you see, the problem is, they had already rebelled against God. And they had come to a place where God had given them every opportunity, and they were constantly chasing other idols and false gods. And God was fed up, and He was bringing upon them the judgment that He promised. If you do this, there will come the day when I turn you over to your enemies. And frankly, Nebuchadnezzar's siege of Jerusalem was in the sovereign purpose of God. We need discernment to know how to pray sometimes. Because when we think we're standing with God and opposing what we feel is, is ungodly and pagan behavior among leadership, it may very well be God's purpose to deal with us in judgment. And here's a sad reality that we need to come to grips with. I've said this before, but I want to remind you this morning. Do you think there were born-again believers who love the Lord with all their heart in the World Trade Center towers the day they collapsed? If there were, did God fail them? Did He let them down? Did He turn His back on them? They're His children. They're His faithful ones. No, He didn't. He did exactly what He promised. I will bring you safely to My heavenly kingdom. And when they breathed their last breath on this planet, they breathed in a favorite song of Myrna Stenberg, they breathed celestial air in their next breath as they beheld the face of God. Was there sadness? Was there heartache? Yes. Is it tragic? Yes. But friends... Godly people suffer when they live amongst an ungodly larger group. 
and judgment comes to the group. What do you think is going to happen if or perhaps when judgment comes to America? Don't you think there are true believers in America? I hope you fit into that category. But what if judgment comes? Has God abandoned us? No. He's faithful. He'll see us through. He'll bring us into his kingdom. We have the idea that everything that's bad must be the devil. And God is going to rescue us from all opposition. And you, and you need to read your Bibles a little more carefully. The whole nation of Judah went into captivity. Jeremiah ended up headed off to Egypt, not by choice. Daniel and Ezekiel ended up in Babylon, not by choice. And Daniel finds himself in the king's court studying under the king's scholastic training, not by choice. And as he seeks God's favor... (laughs) It brings humility before the commander. And God granted Daniel favor. And God touched the heart of the commander in this case. And so, in verse 14, the commander listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. This does not mean they were rotund, by the way. Um, It means their skin and uh, their musculature was healthier. It looked better. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. And so God had a plan for them and he honored them. Now, It's true that the dietary laws that God gave the Israelites as they received the law in the wilderness, that if those dietary regulations are followed, the result is good health. God says, you do what I tell you to do and I will not put any of the diseases upon you that I have put upon Uh, the other nations. And so there is that benefit. But Daniel and his three friends were not after the benefits of good diet. They were after serving God and honoring Him. And the byproduct of that was God's blessing to them. And they had all kind of uh, knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. And 
Daniel understood the visions and dreams, and at the end of the two day of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. Can you see this? Can you see all the graduates? Here's the graduating class. And uh, they're each called up to Nebuchadnezzar to have some private words with him. And so, one by one, these students are called to come forward. And now, Daniel comes forward. And the king talked with them. And out of them all, not one was found. Like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers all throughout his realm. I don't know how he quantified that. (laughs) But they were ten times better than anybody else. And Daniel continued all the way until the first year of Cyrus the king. Friends, things don't always turn out well. Sometimes obedience results in martyrdom. Sometimes it results in torture and tragedy. God does not always spare and bless with this life people who are faithful followers. But no matter what, as Paul put it, sometimes I'm torn between two. I don't know whether it's better to stay here, which is best for all of you, or whether it's better for me to go on and be with Jesus, which is far better for me. Regardless of whether we become martyrs, or imprisoned, or tortured for Christ, or whether God intervenes and blesses and opens doors of opportunity... Our lives belong to Him. And we need to make certain that we are yielded to Him in obedience. That we will do what He has asked us to do. They could have rationalized. They could have said, you know, here we are in Babylon. And we'll have more of an influence and a witness if we just don't make waves. If we go along. and, and But they didn't do that. They chose to obey God. To obey is better than sacrifice. And so, in their case, God opened doors of opportunity for them that was amazing. And as one commentator put it, the fact that God uh, opened opportunities for them... This was a test to see if they were going to obey Him or go their own path. And because they chose obedience, 
God continued to open doors for them. And we'll see as we follow Daniel's life that he never compromised his faith. He never compromised. He always remained faithful. Are you willing to remain faithful no matter what the cost? Are you willing to be obedient no matter the price that it may require? And will you depend on God to give you the humility and grace to appeal to those in authority over you with ideas for how you can work this out? Daniel was careful not to be belligerent. He was careful to honor those in authority over him. He would have died if that's what it took. But instead, God opened doors for him that no man could shut. 